0: If you think I have gone crazy, try picking a flower from the garden of your neighbor. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature, or rather focus today, is Charles Bukowski, who said that opening line. If you think I've gone crazy, try picking a flower from the garden of your neighbor. We're doing this because Charles Bukowski, born 1920 in Andernach, Germany, died on March 9th, 1994. Yes, 25 years ago this week. And he began writing poetry in 1955 at the age of 35. It was extremely popular and controversial the kind of poet who has the quality of his work questioned, which is the fate of pretty much any poet for whom people will line up around the block to see and hear him. Think Billy Collins, think Sharon Olds, think the Instagram poets of today. So this podcast is a tribute because, and an assessment, but it's mostly because I side with those who believe there is a lot more to Bukowski and his poetry than his detractors believe. So this podcast will be a sampling of his poems, from his earlier work published by Black Sparrow Press to later work published by Echo and some of his posthumous work. The books have still been coming out for uh, the decades since his death. I should mention that the movie Barfly, released in 1987 and starring Mickey Rourke, does a very good job of characterizing Bukowski's work and Mickey Rourke does a very good job as Buk. Another little interesting tidbit I believe is, you know, back in 1970 before he was famous, John Martin, a Black Sparrow Press, offered Bukowski a dependable regular stipend Of $100 a month If he would quit the post office And just write full time Bukowski took him up on the offer The rest is history The relationship worked They continued that relationship As long as uh, they were together And uh, John would put the books together They said that Bukowski Just wrote the poems and sent them over to him And he'd put them together And uh, then Buke would find out what was In the next book So it's one way of working. I'm sure there are a lot of poets listening who would cringe at the thought of someone else putting the poems together and putting them in order for their next book. So let's get going here. I'm going to read some, some of Bukowski's poems just to give you, as I said, a sampling. And I think they demonstrate there's more to the man than many people believe. This first poem I'm going to read is actually the first one I recall standing out to me. Uh, The first book of his I bought, Burning in Water, Drowning in Flame. And that's selected early poems from 1955 to 1973. The book was published in the mid-70s. And somehow this poem just grabbed me. And my buddy Jeff and I had a lot of fun uh, just talking about it. It's called Hot. She was hot. She was so hot. I didn't want anybody else to have her. And if I didn't get home on time, she'd be gone, and I couldn't bear that. I'd go mad. It was foolish, I know, childish, but I was caught in it. I was caught. I delivered all the mail, and then Henderson put me on the night pickup run in an old army truck. The damn thing began to heat halfway through the run, and the night went on, me thinking about my hot Merriam and jumping in and out of the truck filling mail sacks, the engine continuing to heat up, the temperature needles at the top, hot, hot, like Merriam. I leaped in and out three more pickups and into the station I'd be, my car waiting to get me to Maryam, who sat on my blue couch with scotch and her rocks, crossing her legs and swinging her ankles like she did. Two more stops. The truck stalled at a traffic light. It was hell, kicking it over again. I had to be home by eight. Eight was a deadline for Maryam. I made the last pickup and the truck stalled at a signal. Half a block from the station, it wouldn't start. It couldn't start. I locked the doors, pulled the key, and ran to the station. I threw the keys down, signed out, Your goddamn truck stalled at the signal. I shouted, Pico and Western. I ran down the hall, put the key in the door, opened it. Her drinking glass was there, and a note. Son of a bitch. I waited till five after eight. You don't love me, you son of a bitch. Nobody will love me. I've been waiting all day. Miriam. I poured a drink and let the water run into the tub. There were 5,000 bars in town, and I'd make 25 of them looking for Miriam. Her purple teddy bear held the note as he leaned against a pillow. I gave the bear a drink, myself a drink, and got into the hot water. I don't know, maybe maybe it's the frenzy that is in this. It's almost like, you know, you do have those dreams where you're trying to, like, catch the bus that's pulling out of the terminal or get someplace and obstacles keep getting in the way. And it's just, that poem uh, impressed me. And so, you know, I will say Bukowski's the kind of poet who doesn't have in a, a poem like How, or Kaddish or Gregory Corso's Marriage. He doesn't have those individual... Really, let's say, big deal poems that stand out to you. He's appreciated for his whole body of work, uh, and and not for an individual individual peaks of uh, poetic output. So I just just note that. Here's another poem. Now, this one's kind of um, you yeah, books uh, writes as if the poems are autobiogra- auto- autobiographical. Of course, they're not completely autobiographical. But there's some elements of truth, I think. And then there's who knows what kind of spin-offs because he's a creative guy, right? A poet. This is from uh, Sifting Through the Madness for the word, the line, the way. And this was published by Echo Press much later than the other book, 2003. And this is called A Wise Ass. That's when I was on campus. Some of the professors, I'm sure, feared me, or at least preferred I not be in their class. I had a scarred and lean countenance, and I slouched in my seat hung over and dangerous. I refused to buy the assigned books or study. I was insolent, cool, and crazy, and I drank and fought every night. My parents supported me out of fear. I was the meanest 18-year-old son of a bitch in the world. I'd leap up in class and make incoherent speeches, challenging whatever the professor had just said. I was a pain in the ass, and I thought I was tough, but I was afraid to go out for the football team or ask a girl for a date. I guess it was crazy. All I read was Nietzsche and Schopenhauer. I was taking journalism and art classes, and when they asked me for one writing assignment a week, I wrote seven. Some said I was a genius. I felt like a genius, or I felt like I thought a genius should feel. One day I got in a fight after art class with a 200-pound fullback of the football team. We fought for 30 minutes on the campus lawn. Unfortunately, nobody stopped us. I finally won, although I never expected to. I kept waiting to lose, and it didn't happen. Then I began to get popular. I couldn't take that, so I pretended to be a born-again Nazi. Then I got a lot of freaky guys full of hate trailing after me, so I told them to fuck off, and I became a school recluse. I don't know. After two years on campus, I didn't want it anymore. So I quit and got a job in the railroad yard as a laborer. I rented a small room downtown and roamed the streets at night. Some genius I was. Some goddamn genius. I had several trips to the Herald Examiner and the LA Times. Told them I wanted to be a reporter. Never made it past the receptionist's desk. Fill out these forms, they said. I shoved them back. They didn't know I was a genius. One night in a bar, I got in a fight with a little guy. He must have weighed only 130 pounds, and he whipped my ass. The next night, I tested him once more, and he whipped my ass all over again. A week later, I took a bus to New Orleans. Somewhere along the way, I bought a book by a famous guy called Hemingway. I couldn't read it. The fucking guy couldn't write. I tossed the book out the window. A girl on the bus kept staring at me. She turned in her seat and made a sketch of my face. She wrote her address on the back of the sketch and got off at Fort Worth. I went on to Dallas, got off, caught a shave, showered at the Y, took a bus back to Fort Worth and found her. I sat in the front room with her while her mother sat in the bedroom. We talked a long time. It was great. She was beautiful. Then she held my hand and started talking about God. And I got the fuck out of there. I took another bus to New Orleans and had a portable typewriter with me. That's all I needed to prove I was a genius. That and another 15 years. (laughs) Another thing about Bukowski is uh, the guy definitely has a sense of humor. Not always, uh, not particularly known for being funny, but he often is rather funny. He uses the term genius in this next poem. It's called Confession of a Genius. And... uh, Again, kind of autobiographical, so I think that's a way for you to get some more information about him as a person. I don't think he ever went to college for two years, as he talked about in the other poem. Uh, I doubt he threw a book out of a bus window. You know, if you really think about it, he just puts that wild stuff in there, and you just go with it. Uh, you don't quite, I don't quite believe it, but it makes for an interesting read. Okay, from Betting on the Muse, a big fat book called Confession of a Genius. During World War II, some of the worst writing of our time appeared in books and magazines. It was truly regrettable. I lived alone in insane and insane in tiny rooms, being neither a soldier nor a writer. It's possible to be truly mad and still exist upon scraps of life. I knew my name, was able to dress myself, able to speak the language, but. I was entirely inept, without design. I was a meaningless conglomeration of ideas. I was an idiot. The army didn't want me. Women didn't want me. I didn't want myself. I was a husk. Yet, twice, I found myself with a typewriter and wrote a short story, which was accepted by a leading magazine. I wrote another that appeared in an intercontinental journal along with Henry Miller and Camus. Then I hocked the typewriter and stopped writing. I felt that what I had written was meaningless. I went from city to city, from room to room, from bar to bar. The war ended. I continued existing in that manner. I read the successful writers and decided that they too were meaningless. I really didn't begin writing again until I started living with women. They startled me out of my stupor, dropped me splashing and thrashing into a new confusion. My work began to appear in literary magazines. People hated me for the way I wrote about women, but these people never met the women I lived with. I was only photographing in words, the reality of it all. I wrote about horrible women and horrible jobs, and the first damn thing you knew, I had half a fame. I noticed that the sycophants and weaklings were writing poetry, too. I tried that too. It was easy. The whole game was a matter of tossing your stuff at them. I gave readings, packed them in, drank throughout, insulting them, tossing the crap. They hated it and loved it. They ate up my crap. And through it all, I had this feeling of bored disinterest. But then I noticed that the women I went with were getting younger, with better bodies, longer hair, more light in the eyes. It was paying off. I no longer had to hock typewriters or work horrible jobs. i had become something to some people and others had better sense but I was the same half-shot asshole that I'd always been. I was nothing at all, but somehow I'd stumbled into the lucky and easy game, a shell game, a hustle, a lark, a sunny midnight, a stance, an out, an in, and yes, I've been there ever since. Well, let's try uh, a poem called The Luck of the Word. An interesting thing about this uh, poem is that I do know this is true, I've met people who have talked about how incredibly personally meaningful Bukowski's poetry is them, so it's is to them, so it's kind of ironic, isn't it? This is called the luck of the word. Throughout the years I've gotten letters from men who say reading my books has helped them get through go on. This is high praise indeed, and I know what they mean. My nerve to go on was helped by reading Fonte Dostoevsky. Lawrence, Celine, Hampson, and others. The word raw on the page. The similarities of our hells. But it all comes through a special force. These words and what they speak of do help get our asses through the fire. A good book can make an almost impossible existence livable for the reader and the writer. Now there's a statement my poetry therapy friends can relate to the importance of a book that expresses what you are living, what you're going through, what you're experiencing. And a lot of people have had that experience with the work of Charles Bukowski. Let's do one that's kind of, uh, you might call it poetics. I don't know how many list poems he ever wrote, but this is called Defining the Magic. A good poem is like a cold beer when you need it. A good poem is a hot turkey sandwich when you're hungry. A good poem is a gun when the mob corners you. A good poem is something that allows you to walk through the streets of death. A good poem can make death melt like hot butter. A good poem can frame agony and hang it on the wall. A good poem can let your feet touch China. A good poem can make a broken mind fly. A good poem can let you shake hands with Mozart. A good poem can let you shoot craps with the devil and win. A good poem can do almost anything. And most important, a good poem knows when to stop. (laughs) Thank you, Chaz, for those thoughts about what a good poem is. And now, just because uh, there's this inclination for people to think of Bukowski as a guy who only writes about getting drunk and uh, making it with sleazy women and that sort of thing I'm going to read a poem which kind of goes against the stereotype we're going to close with this um, and with the thought that well I, I do believe Charles Bukowski has a, a lot of positive uh, things to him it's a rather like uh, slam poetry you might say and other elements of the poetry world like that, where the reputation isn't universally positive, but there are also a lot of people who are not terribly familiar uh, with what they're talking about, like the slam, uh, like Bukowski. So here's a poem. And it's it's not when he's old and, and uh, you know, living wealthily, driving his BMW. Uh, it's from his early days when he was still to live in a more funky existence and it's called Marina. Majestic. Magic. Infinite. My little girl is sun on the carpet. Out the door picking a flower. Ha! An old man battle-wrecked emerges from his chair and she looks at me but only sees love. Ah, and I become quick with the world and love right back just like I was meant to do Marina from the book Mockingbird wish me luck I'm Charlie Rossiter you have been listening to Poetry Spoken Here a special Charles Bukowski focused episode because he died 25 years ago And it seemed like a good time to uh, pay some attention to his work, pull out some of my books, and uh, share a few poems with you. So, I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this has been Poetry Spoken Here. Please be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter inviting you to join us again next time to Let Poetry Speak to You. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack rossiter Mondley And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetryspokenhere. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetryspokenhere. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.